Today, I want to talk about the, one of the themes of Shabbos, one of the ideas behind Shabbos. I'll start with some questions about what we do on Shabbos and what it could mean, and then I'll try to give you one organizing idea, which uh, will explain one part of Shabbos, anyway. You know, the main halacha, the main halacha about Shabbos is not doing, not doing malacha. 39 different types of malacha that we're not supposed to do. Now, what, what is malacha? What is this thing we're not supposed to do? So, I'm going to give you a description. The truth is that it's not strict. Strictly, Malacha is the 39 categories. That's what it is. That's how it's defined. Just takes an awful lot of time to go through all of that. So I'm going to give you a description which captures the idea pretty well. I wouldn't say it's perfect. It's not perfect. It's not 100% exact, but it gives us something to talk about. I'm taking this from Diane Grunfeld. A Malacha is an action which changes the physical world and which is done intentionally, skillfully, and for a creative or constructive purpose. Again, it's not a definition, it's just a rough description. A malach is an action which changes the physical world and which is done intentionally, skillfully, and for a creative or constructive purpose. Now, right away, you could see that this has nothing to do with work. This has nothing to do with work. This description does not say that you get tired that you sweat, that you're worn out, that you need to take a rest afterwards. Does it say anything about that? Let's take, for example, striking a match. Is that a physical change? You're making a change in the physical world? You're causing fire. And um, it'd be very hard to strike a match by accident. I was just fooling around. It just happened to strike in light. And it's got to be done intentionally. And also, it needs to be done skillfully. Try doing it, holding the match in your mouth. I think, or, you know, you'll find it very difficult. And to be a malacha, it has to be done for a, const- a creative or constructive purpose. I need the light. I need the heat. I'm getting out of it something that I want, something that will benefit me somehow. Obviously, striking a match is not work. And I want you to know, this probably hasn't happened to any of you, but in the United States, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of Jews, came to the rabbi and said, Rabbi, in the Holy Torah it says not to work. But striking a match isn't work. So clearly God didn't mean that I shouldn't strike matches. And if they were pressed, they could hold up the blue book. And the blue book, it says, don't do any work. 
And that's true. That's what it says in the Blue Book. It's just one of the many mistakes in the Blue Book. Because the word in Hebrew is malacha. Malacha has nothing to do with work. Malacha is roughly what I described to you. Clearly, according to the description, striking a match is a malacha. So is writing your name, so is watering a plant, so is the whole list of 39 categories. Now, the question is this. What is the Torah telling us? What idea is being communicated when it says, don't do malacha? I'm not going to ask why should we shouldn't do malacha. That's God's business. He has, has an infinity of reasons for it. But can we see in the idea of malacha some message? Not that this is the whole reason, the rationale, but some message. Can we learn something from it? What is being told to us that says, listen, the seventh day is a day in which you don't do malach. What does it tell me about the seventh day? What does it tell me about the previous six days? What am I supposed to learn from that? One thing for sure, this is not back to nature. This is not giving up all of what technology can give us. Because, as you know from your experience, your thermostat is still working. Your climate control, humidity, and temperature is working in your house. And your refrigerator is working, keeping the soda cold. And the blech is working, keeping the petroleum hot. And the lights are on a timer, and the lights go on, and the lights go off. You're not camping out in the backyard, you know, getting rained on. So it's clearly not giving up technology. It's got to be something else. The question is, what else is it? Yeah. Um, it could have to do with uh, when, when Adam got, got, um, he got kicked out of the Garden of Eden, he was made to, uh, yeah, to work by the sweat of his brow to make his own things, you know? And uh, in the same sense, he could forget that God was the, perf- was, was the giver of everything. So although it's not 100% right, what I'm saying is, I mean, you could get, get lost on Shabbos doing things that were not malacha. Like I could read a textbook on whatever and not be thinking of God at all. But there is some element of not getting like caught up in, in, in what I'm doing to blind myself. Okay, I, I think uh, on, on the first level, you have to be right. We're being told here to stop, stop doing something which is all the time, every day. You think of malachos, you're doing malachos all the time, every day. Because of a cup of coffee, you turn on and off the lights, you open a letter, you write a letter, you know, water the flowers, get on a bus. You're involved in malachas every day, all the day. So you're right. Stopping to do malachas is a big jolt. It's a big jolt in my lifestyle. It just changes. And if I'm in danger, as you say, of losing sight of the truth because of the habits of my lifestyle, and especially the physical side of my lifestyle, then indeed this is going to be a help to recovering my balance. I think that's right. I'm going to try to go a few steps beyond it. I think as a first step, that's, that's, a, that's a good, that's a good uh, observation. Now, uh, another thing. Given that you're not allowed to do malacha, what's the other big mitzvah on Shabbos? Kiddush. Right? It's a Kiddush Friday night. So I want to ask the following question. A person is very tired. Friday afternoon, he's really exhausted. Comes to Shabbos, so he drinks a cup of wine, makes Kiddush, drinks the wine down, falls asleep, and sleeps for 25 hours. He was really tired. 
He sleeps for 25 hours, wakes up Saturday night. What? Biblical. Shabbos mitzvah did he leave out? What has he missed? That's Kiddush, man. The Shavor is not doing Malacha. If he's asleep, he's not doing any Malacha. Right? He says the three meals. The three meals are rabbinic, based on a verse in, in the prophets. They're not biblical. I should say, I should not Torah, in other words, from, from Moses. Learning Torah is a mitzvah every day. It's not a Shabbos mitzvah. That's why I said Shabbos mitzvah particularly. He didn't say Shema either, but Shema is every day. But actually, if you think about it, he does come to Zohar because... And yes, he makes Kiddush, he remembers, but then like, he really forgets, you know. Because he's asleep? Surely Zohar does not prohibit you going to sleep. Right, that's the whole day. You, you look at the books of Halacha, you're not violating uh, Zohar. Musa? Musa. Musa is the all, all Tefillah, all, all prayers are only rabbinic. They're not, they're not uh, biblical. The next Kiddush? Kiddush Shabbos, Shabbos morning is rabbinic. Yeah. Abdullah is rabbinic. Besides, waking up Saturday night, he can make up Tola. That's necessary. Missed that. The surprising, shocking answer is nothing. He made Kiddush and he slept 25 hours. He didn't miss any biblical Shabbos commandments, mitzvahs. That's pretty surprising. Is that all the Torah had in mind? Okay, the rabbis invented all sorts of important, interesting things and you can't ignore the, the rabbis. But is that all the Torah had in mind? Just a 30-second recital over a cup of wine, and that's it. No other requirements. It's very shocking, very surprising. Well, well, well the Torah Okay, I think you're right, but we need a source in the Torah for it, specifically vis-a-vis Shabbos. You're going in the right direction. I have to think of the right, the right source. There is a source. And indeed, you say that for Shabbos a couple of times, but you have to think of where it is. Okay, one more question to start with, and this question will give us the key to the answers to everything. There's a story in the Gemara in Shabbos uh, about Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai and Rabbi Yehuda and somebody else, I always forget the third one, who are having a discussion. These three Tanoim were having a discussion about Rome. How should we look at Rome? How should we feel about Rome? One of Yehuda who started the discussion said, Rome is wonderful. Look how they organize the world. There are highways linking one end of the continent with the other, and they have international laws so that there can be international trade and commerce and travel. Romans are doing a great job organizing the world. The second one, whoever he is, was neutral on Rome. Rabbi Shimon Bar-Yochai said the Romans are totally materialistic. They do everything for profit, power, and pleasure, the three great thieves. And therefore, they are totally degraded, and they're evil. The roads are set up in order to collect taxes, and the marketplaces are organized because they have brothels next door, and everything is just materialistic, animalistic, degraded. That was the discussion that the three Tanoim had. Well, the word of the discussion got around, the Romans heard about it, and they said, Rabbi Yudu, praised us, will be rewarded. I don't know what they did for him, but... And the one who was neutral will be sent into exile. And Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, who criticized us so bitterly, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai will be sent into, will be killed. 
So Rabbi Shimon became a fugitive. And he hid in a variety of places. They were chalking him down. Finally, he and his son of Eleazar hid in a cave. And they stayed in that cave 12 years. Because Baruch Hu fed them by a nace, by a miracle. After 12 years, Eliyahu Novi, Elijah the prophet, came to the cave and said, the emperor has died and the decree against you has been canceled, so you're not in danger anymore. So they came out of the cave. And the Gemara says, when they came out of the cave, they saw Jews working, farmers, uh, uh, people with stores, you know, retail sales, um, craftsmen making various items. And everywhere, Rabbi Shimon and his son of Elezer looked, there was a destructive fire. They looked at these Jews, and you know, the, the, the plow would go up in smoke, and the, the water bags would go up in smoke, and the, the hats would go up in smoke. Wherever they looked, there was a destructive fire. And then a voice from heaven said to them, Did you come out of your cave to destroy my world? Go back into the cave. So they went back into the cave. And they stayed there 12 months. This time they came out on their own. They stayed for 12 months and then they came out. This time, the Gemara says, wherever Rebbe Le'ezer, the sun, looked, there was a destructive fire. Rebbe Shimon healed what his son destroyed. And Rebbe Shimon said to his son, if there were only two in the world who make it worthwhile, only two who are the value of the world, only two justify the world, that's enough. Meaning you and I can handle it. We don't have to have everybody else doing it. Then the Gemara goes on. The day they came out of the cage, the second time was Friday, and they saw an old man running down the street, and in his hand he had two hadassin, two twigs of myrtle. So they stopped him and they said, what are you doing with Hadassim? And he said, I'm preparing for Shabbos. And I have two because the midst of Shabbos in Shmos, in, in Yisro is Zohar Yom Shabbos And if I have in it's Shabbos Yom Two different ways of putting the midst of Shabbos. So I have two Hadassim, one for each way of putting the midst of Shabbos. And the Gemara says, at that moment, Rabbi Shimon and his son found Nachas Peace of mind. Peace of mind. Tranquility of soul. That's the end of the story. No, that story needs some help. And we need some help. Need, need some understanding. What? What is the story about? What is the story teaching us? And I take you through the story. I'm going to now give you the simplest possible meaning. I'm not plumbing the depths of it. It's a Gemara. Gemara has endless depth. But I'm just telling you what I think on the surface it will be helpful to us to answer our questions. You have to understand Rome. Rome is the physical for the sake of the physical. The whole world is physical, life is physical, and there's an end up. Uh, they didn't believe in life after death. They didn't believe in the soul. When the body dies, it's over.
The orientation was the physical orientation. They really took over certain things from the Greeks. And the question is, did they really believe them or not? Some historians say that when they have these legends, these legends were told only to reinforce values. But they weren't really believed. Sort of like Santa Claus today, you know. Anybody, any archaeologist who'll dig up 20th century America and he'll see, he digs up someplace in December, and it's filled with these fat guys with red suits, you know, and, and funny hats, and he'll make up a whole theory about it. Every American knows, I mean, every American over the age of six knows that it's a joke, you know, that isn't really true. They just talk about it because it's a nice thing to talk about, and it's because people are generous, and they, 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 they do things for their children, and Anyway, the philosophy and the outlook of life was really physical. Now, the discussion was this, between the three Tanoim. We, the Jewish people, with the Torah, our whole outlook is spiritual, is Ruchni. Can we live with these Romans? Can we connect to these Romans? Can we interact with these Romans? How can we relate to them? when their philosophy and our philosophy are really opposites. So if you would have said, no problem. No problem. They're organizing the world, then we'll use it. The other one was neutral, seeing that there's some danger. Rabbi Shemba said, they stand for the physical, and we stand for the ruchni. There's no connection, no interaction, no cooperation. They, after all, are a gigantic, successful civilization, and we're a tiny minority of people. If we relate them to, uh, to them at all, we're going to be sucked under. We have to either fight them or cut ourselves off. And that's why he ends up in a cave, totally divorced, cut off. As we would say, the double entendre, underground. He's underground in both senses. Because, he says, you cannot have any contact. You'll be Take it over if you have contact with him. Fine. After 12 years, they come out and they see Jews farming and doing business and doing crafts. It means they're integrated into the Roman economy. So they can't take it. They can't take it. And wherever they look, there's a destructive fire because they say, if you are part of the Roman economy, then you're lost. Your ruchnius, your spirituality is lost. What does God say? God says, did you come out of your cave to destroy my world? So God says, those farmers and those craftsmen and those businessmen are my world. You have no right to destroy it. So the Shimon of Lezer are given a jolt. Wait a minute, that's not the right, not the right picture. Go back in the case. So they go back in for 12 months. Now, some say, why did they pick 12 months? Because you know that in Gehenna, people who suffer being punished in Gehenna is no more than 12 months. So they chose the 12 months sort of in recognition that they had made a mistake. Okay, they come out the second time. Rebel Ezra still isn't reconciled. He still can't take it. So where he looks, there's still a destructive fire. Where Rebbe Shimon says to his son, you're making a mistake. You're making a mistake. True, their lives are lost. True, Rome has taken them over. But, the world doesn't need everybody to be right. 
The world doesn't need everybody to be true. It's enough if there are two of us, you and I. You and I can carry the whole world on our shoulders. Yes, they've been taken over. Yes, they've been polluted. But so what? Not everybody's going to make it. We'll make it and we'll hold the world. That was stage two. Stage one was where they're going to destroy everything. Stage two is where Shimon says, they are polluted, they are destroyed, but so what? We can hold the world together. But then the Gemara says, the day in which they came out was Friday. And they saw this old man with the two twigs of myrtle. Now, the Marshal there says, I'm sure you've taken the Hadassim from Sukkot, after Sukkot, when you can smell them, they have a wonderful sweet smell. And there are those of us who use this Friday night before Kiddush, which I was wanting for Kiddush, as you will see why shortly. So they said to this, oh, so the Marshal says they were used at weddings. Hadassim were used at weddings. Now, they say to this old man, what do you have these two Hadassim for? And he says, I'm preparing for Shabbos. One for Zohar, one for Shomer. Corresponding to the two ways the Torah puts the midst of Shabbos. Meaning, the old man says to them, every Friday night for me is a wedding. That's why I have Hadassim. Because it's a wedding. Every Friday night is a wedding between the Jewish people and Shabbos. You know what it says. Every day has a pair. Sunday has Monday, Tuesday has Wednesday, Thursday has Friday, except for Shabbos. Jewish people is Shabbos' pair. Oh! Every day. I mean, every, he, he had these two, two, uh, uh for Shabbos. Rabbi Shimon and Rabbi Lezer find Nachasurah. Their minds are at peace, their hearts are at peace. Ah! Now everything's okay. Why is everything okay now? Well, what did they learn from this old man? What they learned is this. True, all week long, I'm integrated into the Roman economy. I'm a farmer, I'm a craftsman, I'm a businessman. But what am I working for? What's my goal? My goal in working is to come to Shabbos. I'm preparing for a wedding. Gentlemen, someday, God willing, you'll get married. And you'll find that for the months before the wedding, and especially the few weeks before the wedding, you've got one thing in mind, the wedding. The arrangements and uh, kibbutzim, who are you going to honor at the wedding, and, and preparing the clothes that you have to wear, the food, the caterer, the, who are you going to live afterwards, and how are you going to raise the money, and, you know, lots and lots of things. I mean, hopefully your parents will help out. Um, and at, at the last few days, all you have in mind is the wedding. That's it. So this old man says, from the beginning of the week until Shabbos, I have one thing in mind, and that is, I'm working for Shabbos. So he says, all of the work that I do during the week is Shabbos day. That's how I protect myself from being polluted by Rome. I'm working in the Roman economy, but I am not of the Roman economy. That's the way you would say it in modern English. That's not my goal. It's not my identity. It's not where I live. It's not, I'm not where I'm centered. I'm centered on Shabbos. And because that's my goal, it colors everything I do the whole week. Because everything you do, if you do it for a goal, how you do it is dependent upon the goal. Your mind is focused on the goal when you do it. So the whole experience of doing it is different. 
you work to earn money in order to take a vacation, that's very different from working to earn money to fix a broken boiler in your house. Even though the work is the same and the money is the same. But it feels entirely different. If you're working for a vacation, you feel exhilarated. You feel excited. With this I'm going to... Well, wherever you want to go. Right? Whereas if the boiler breaks and you're working to earn the money, what you feel is, my boiler's broken, I, it, I suffered a terrible loss, and I'm going to have to spend the money and this on something else. And you work and you do it kicking yourself because you're making up a loss. You're not working for something positive that you could add to your life. Even though it's the same work and the same amount of money, it feels entirely different. The goal that you're working for has a big effect on how you experience the work that you're doing. So this old man told them, I'm working every, every, every day of the week for Shabbos. We mela all my work is Shabbos big work. And since it's Shabbos big work, we mela, I'm not, I'm not polluted by being, uh, having contact with the Roman economy. Because even though I use it, and I trade with it, I'm not part of it. I'm not part of it, I'm not of it, that's not where I am, that's not where, where my identity is. Okay, that's what the story tells us Sort of on the surface. Now, this really gives us uh, a very important aspect, idea of Shabbos. That Shabbos is the goal of the week. You know, in the Chadoidi, you say, Last in action, first in thought. Last in action, first in thought. What do those words mean? What are they describing? Last in action, first in thought. Roshulah Akhavitz was not only a Kabbalist, but he was a philosopher. Here, he's describing a philosophical category. What kind of thing in life is both last in action, but first in thought? I'll tell you what. Say again? Yeah. The goal. A goal is last in action and first in thought. Let me show you how this works. A person says, say a person is 17. I want to be a doctor. That's what I want to do. So now he says, hmm, I'm going to be a doctor. How am I going to get to be a doctor? I guess I'll have to go to medical school. How am I going to get to medical school? I have to go to undergraduate school. And I'll have to major in let's say biology or some relevant subject, I have to do pretty well. And if I want to get into a good medical school, I have to go to a good college. So where am I now? I'm a junior in high school. I better get good grades now. I better get good recommendations from some of my teachers. So I better start working hard now in high school. So what was first in his mind? I want to become a doctor. Then he works back. Okay, I'm going to become a doctor. That's 15 years from now. How am I going to get there? And he goes back stage by stage. Now, what does he do? Well, he's a junior in high school. He starts working hard in high school. And then he applies to college. Then he gets into college and he works hard in college. And then he applies to medical school. And he gets into medical school. And he works hard in medical school. And he graduates. And finally, at the end, he becomes a doctor. So in action, becoming the doctor is last. Whereas in thought, becoming a doctor was first. 
That's what it says in Lechadoidi. Sof Ma'asev Ma'akshabat Chilat, last in action and first in thought. Last in action and first in thought means the goal. When he calls Shabbos last in action and first in thought, Shomachabat is telling us Shabbos is the goal of the week. That's why it's the last day of the week. It's the last day of the week because it's the goal of the week. Now, what did we say you can't do on Shabbos? Malachim. Malachim means changing the physical world. Intentionally, skillfully, creatively. All week long, you have to do Malachim. If you have to work, if you have to provide yourself with money, you're going to have to do Malachim. There's almost no... No work that, that, that without Malach. You have to do Malach. But Shabbos that you're working for, Shabbos which is your goal, there's no Malach. What you're being told is, Malach, changing the physical world is not the goal of life. The goal of life is not changing the physical world. If you do anything to change the physical world, that's a means, not a goal. The world is full of physical work, so as to get to a condition where there's no physical work. Physical malach. The whole of the physical is here for the sake of something that's not physical. That's the idea that we're being taught. By having a day in which you don't do any malach. Similar way of putting the same idea is found because I'll say one of God's names is spelled Shin Dalad Yud. And they say that this name carries a message. The message is Sha'omar Laolamodai. God is the one who said to his world enough. The Shin of it becomes the Sha'amar. And he says, what did he say? He said to the world, die, enough. And as I'll say, here's the picture. God starts the creative process and the world is growing. Not the Big Bang. Big Bang just means things getting farther and farther apart. I mean, more and more stuff is coming in, which is not the Big Bang. More and more stuff is coming in. More and more stuff is being created. And the world is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. At a certain point, the Kodesh says to the world, Die! Enough! Now let's think. Imagine someone watching something grow. Watching and watching. It's growing and growing. And at a certain point he says, enough! What is he doing when he says to the thing, enough? Don't grow anymore. We have enough. He's standing outside. He's standing outside and he's saying, listen, I need this thing for some purpose. And he measures the thing as it grows against the purpose. And then when he's got enough for his purpose, he says, enough. When you say enough, what you're saying is, this thing I'm looking at is only a means. It's not an end. So being a means, I always measure it against the end. You know, if, I'm, if I need to go on an hour's drive, and I have limited money, and I go to the gas station, so I, I, I set the pump, and, and the pump is running. At a certain point, I say, I'm only going for an hour's drive. A full tank will take me six hours. 
I don't need any more. Enough! Stop! Because I don't want to pay any more money on gas right now. Because I don't want the gas for the gas. The gas is only a means. If the gas itself were gold, if the gas itself were what I needed, why would I say stop? I don't know. Let's have more and more. Let's have more and more without end. If the gas were itself my goal, the more you have, the better. But no, it's only a means to something else. So I measure the gas against something else, and I say, how much do I need for that? That's exactly the attitude we have towards the whole physical world. How much do I need for my ruchnius, for the spirituality that I'm trying to achieve? That's what the week teaches us. The week teaches us that the whole of the malacha that we do during the week, we do for the sake of the ruchnius of Shabbos. You with me so far? The physical malacha that you do on the, during the week is pegged to Shabbos. When I have enough for Shabbos, I don't have to do anymore. Unless there are other misses that I need to do. Right? I have to buy tillin or I have to buy a little of an estrogen. But it can't stand for itself. Changing the physical world doesn't have any value for itself. It has to serve some mitzvah. And Shabbos gives me that characteristic because every, every, every Shabbos that comes, I'm not, I have to stop there. Now, what about the middle question? The guy who goes to sleep. Well, um, a couple of times, every Shabbos, we say, Vishamu. Vishamu v'nei Yisrael t'shabos last, v'shabos v'rosom bris olam. Beini uvein v'nei Yisrael os hi l'olam. Shabbos is called a bris, that means a covenant, an agreement, and it's also called an os, a sign. Here the Torah calls Shabbos a sign. It doesn't tell us we have to do anything. It's not a commandment. It's not an order. It's not a rule. It's a description. But, as he said, uh, when the rabbis gave us mitzvahs for Shabbos, they didn't just invent them, stop. They looked to the Torah to see what the Torah describes Shabbos to be and then gave us mitzvahs that are supposed to fit that description. Now let's think what an os is. An os is a sign. An os teaches something. It communicates something. What does it communicate? So the first thing is, if the Torah said, don't do malacha, the Chazal said the Torah wants it to show that you're not doing malach. It wants it to show. It should be obvious. Anybody looking at you should be able to see that you're very peculiar. Because you're not doing the things that people normally do. So let's take pseudos, meals, Shabbos lunch, noontime, you have a chilled, a hot stew. Now, any other person in any other culture and you on any other day of the week, if you're going to have a hot stew at 12 noon, when would you cook it? 10 o'clock. 11 o'clock. You put it up and you cook it. It should be fresh. You wouldn't put it up 18 hours before and let it cook all night. No one in his right mind would do that. So anybody watching you and seeing you sit down to a meal, Shabbos at noon, eating a hot stew, would naturally expect that you just cooked it in the last three hours. But if you'll be watching, you'll see no cooking was done. 
Because os, the word os means that it has to show. Okay, I, I didn't mean that it would have to be a Chinese person. Okay. But we ourselves can see that over here something very strange is going on. We're doing something that would always be connected with Malacha. And here in Chavez we're doing the same thing with no Malacha. So you can see right away that it's different. Friday night, you sit with lights on. You didn't turn them on Friday night. You don't turn them off. And even if they'll be on a Shabbos clock, you'll have the following very peculiar experience. Uh, you're sitting at the Shabbos table and you get into a discussion and this one says I think it's like this and I was like that. You start pulling down the sperm. Look what it says over here. Look what it says over there. And then somebody says, Oh, it's 20 to 11. So? It's 20 to 11. So what? Well, you see, the lights are going out at 11. So, um, we better finish the discussion, you know, and then you put away the dishes because in 20 minutes it's going to be dark. Now, that never happens on any other day of the week. Any other day of the week, you just keep arguing, you're talking, so you're finished and put the dishes away a half hour later. So what? But not on Shabbos. Oh, you can't do it on Shabbos because the lights are going out. You have no control over it. You have no control over it. So, things that would normally be associated with Malacha, you do those very same things on Shabbos and there's no Malacha. And you can see right away that things are different. By the way, just to push this uh, one step further, if you have friends who are ecologists, then I pity you, but I mean, okay, all right, all right, all right no, it's all right. Okay, ecology is okay. Um, the whole attitude on Shabbos is I have to fit into the environment. I can't make the environment be what I want it to be. Because my physical environment on Shabbos is fixed. There's nothing I can do about it. I can't change the thermostat. I can't change the lights. I can't change the radio on and off. So if I want something to work, I have to change me. I can't change it. This is what the ecologists preach for the physical environment as a whole. That instead of changing the world, at a certain point we're going to have to change ourselves to fit into the world. And I think that in some, in some respects that's right. And here, once a week, you have this begadol, as they say in Hebrew, writ large. Because the whole 24 hours, there's nothing you can do to the physical environment. You just have to sit with it as it is. And this then can symbolize the larger environment, capital L, capital E, that vis-a-vis Kodesh Baruch Hu, you're never going to be able to change that environment. You'll have to spend your whole life trying to fit into that environment. Kodesh Baruch Hu is not under our control that we can make him be something else so it's more convenient for ourselves. But rather, he is what he is and we have to work on ourselves to put ourselves in the right, right relationship with him. So this is the idea. Um, some people will tell you that on Shabbos you're not supposed to be creative. That's not correct. You could be very creative on Shabbos, just not by changing the physical world. But you can be spiritually creative. That's not... That's not... Uh, not where the, the focus is. The focus is on investing in the physical. There you have to know that, a, that it's only a means and there's a limit where it stops.
Now, this, as I said, can affect the whole of the week. Shammai, Hazakein used to say that he, that he ate every day for Shabbos. Every day he ate Shabbos day. Because, he says, I, on Sunday I go to the market, I look for something special for Shabbos, and I pick it up. And if on Monday I find something better, so then I get the better thing, and I eat the, month, the Sunday thing on Monday, because I don't need it anymore. And so it goes all week long. What I eat and what I save, I'm always calculating for the sake of Shabbos. And therefore, I'm experiencing every day as preparation for Shabbos. That's how Shabbos then sort of invades the rest of the week and takes over the rest of the week because the whole of the rest of the week is lived in preparation for Shabbos. That's why we don't have names of the days. There is no Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. That's for the Romans. They're God. For us, it's just letters, numbers. One, two, three, four, five. It's Echa B'Shavis, Sheni B'Shavis, Rishi B'Shavis, Rishi B'Shavis, Right? Each day, in fact, the Ramban says, when you say, Hayom Yom Rishon B'Shavis, you are fulfilling the biblical mitzvah of remembering Shabbos. Because you have mentioned that today is, such as today, on the way to Shabbos. So this is the idea of, of behind Malacha. The idea behind Malacha is to have a right relationship, an appropriate relationship with the physical world. Now, one last thing. No, if you have questions, I have, we have a few minutes. Um, Ramchal says in the Derech Hashem, imagine a person who will say, wow, Shabbos is so important, Shabbos is so holy, Shabbos is so spiritual, That means that Tuesday is really awful. Tuesday is really awful. It's so physical. You might subtitle Tuesday Roman, you know, Roman Tuesday, Roman Thursday. Only Shabbos is really Jewish. Now suppose I'm very wealthy, and I can afford to make two Shabbos a week. So I'll make another Shabbos on Tuesday. Wouldn't that be great? If Shabbos is so holy... So then, if I double Shabbos, I got double holy. Surely that's a big improvement. Maybe not everybody should do this. Other people, unfortunately, you don't have to have to work more. I shouldn't say unfortunately, just mentioning it. But why should why shouldn't I do that when I have the resources? So Amchal says something very, very important. Akkadish Boruch who put balance into the world. And Tuesday is normal. It's not bad, it's not substandard, it's not really awful, but we have to put up with it because we're so weak. The correct week has one Shabbos and six work days, or six Malacha days. Also work days. Both words apply to the six days. So there's no reason to pine away for Shabbos on Tuesday. Rather, one should live Tuesday with Malacha, and look forward to Shabbos when you give up Malach. Indeed, maybe part of the point here is, now this is the supplement to what you said at the beginning, part of the point here is that you learn by the contrast. You learn by the contrast. It's not just living without Malach. It's doing Malach for six days and stopping. And then meditating. Why am I doing this uh, Malach for the six days? To be able to get to the day when I don't have to do it anymore. 
It's that contrast and relationship between doing malacha for six days and not doing it on the seventh day that teaches the lesson. Whereas if a person is very wealthy, he never does malacha, then he wouldn't learn the lesson. He wouldn't learn the lesson is learned by contrast. The lesson is that the physical world is for the sake, physical malacha is for the sake of the ruchni. It's not an end unto itself. That That's right. That's, uh, not the whole, sorry, not the whole point. But the one thing we can learn from the fact that there's an Issa Malacha is this. It's not even all, all that you can learn from Issa Malacha, but one thing that you can learn from Issa Malacha is this. Therefore, sleeping away the whole day, it's not an oath. It's not a sign. It doesn't teach anything. It doesn't show anything except being tired. That's all. So I want you to tell, I want to tell you, the Pre-Tzadik says that you should not learn on Shabbos the way you learn the rest of the week. That is included in making Shabbos special. There's the Gemara in Shabbos, but this I have to quit. I'm running out of time. The Gemara in Shabbos says that Atana saw his two, two of his Talmudian walking down the street on Shabbos, engaged in animated discussion of Torah, and he ran after them and he said, Please, don't be Michal Shabbos. Please, don't be Michal Shabbos. So Rashi says on the spot, he was afraid that they were so involved in their discussion that they'd forget what they're doing and pull off a twig from a tree or something else like that. But the priest Sadiq understands that what he was telling them was different. He, said, he was saying to them, you're talking in Torah exactly the way you do on Wednesday. That itself is a chil Shabbos. Of course, they're not doing Malachan, and it's not Chayim Nisan. But you're not treating Shabbos special. So yes, you should learn on Shabbos, but you should learn things which are special for Shabbos. In particular, it would be appropriate to learn more Ruchni things, things that are more directly spiritual, which of course means learning Hasidus. I mean, learning, um, <laughs> learning um, you know, other Ruchni things, which uh, they are, if there are any other things besides Hasidus. Yeah. <laughs> There's a story of a guy who's sitting Ha, 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 ha.